0: Hello, and welcome to Knock Off Drinks with a Difference. I'm your host, Amy Armstrong, passionate non-alcoholic expert and sober socialite. Grab your favorite glass of non-alcoholic wine and join me on the couch for a chat about all things alcohol-free. So today is my 41st birthday. I know, happy birthday me. And for this episode, I thought I might take a little bit of a trip down memory lane with you and give you a brief history of drinking, the Amy Armstrong slash Ashurst story. Now, this comes with a bit of a warning for my mum, <laughs> who listens to my podcasts very supportively, but maybe this is not one for you, mum. You've been warned anyway. So my drinking story began, much like many of us at about 15, uh, I had no intention Of starting on this journey when I did. So, my first drinking experience, other than maybe a tiniest ship of ship, sip on a blur, ship on a shandy, (laughs) tiniest sip on a shandy at home, was um, on my way to the in Auckland, 15 year old Amy on her way to the very amazing event that was the 95 BFM summer series in the park, in the city, in Auckland. I was going with my friends, we were on the bus, on our way there. I very distinctly remember the friend that I was with on that day saying, oh, I've um bought about 12 cans. And my reaction to that was, how are we going to drink that much Coke? <laughs> so innocent. She's like, no, 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 it's beer. My brother got us beer. And I was like, whoa. And I think I would have had, there was a group of us, so I probably would have had three nice lion red, wide neck cans. So glamorous. And from that day, I was sold. That was it for me. I was in love with drinking. I loved the feeling of confidence that it gave me, of not giving a shit, of feeling free and fun and energetic. So that the, there was another concert series on the following weekend, and we got ac- we got mobilized. <laughs> we got the brother to buy us some awful, you know, ready to drink lemon something or others in a bottle, and that yeah, that was it. From there, it was going to parties most weekends or a lot of weekends, drinking sneaky. At this point, my parents had no idea. Uh, it wasn't until I had a very Well, I think they had no idea. It wasn't until I had a very unseemly experience of waking up in bed in the middle of the night covered in vomit and (laughs) very smartly sneaking into the laundry to try and wash my sheets in the middle of the night in the hope that no one would notice. Uh, And I got busted and I got grounded. But, you know, when you're a teenager, that's not going to slow you down ever. If anything, it probably gets you more excited about what you're doing. So I kept on my happy drinking vibe for a little while, but then I became very quickly known as the girl sitting in the corner of every party. Not not every, but most parties crying into a scrumpy. I did love a scrumpy, a scrumpy cider. It used to come in giant plastic bottles. Just, you know, one point five litre bottles. And more often than not, by the end of the night or midway through the night, I'd be crying. I'd be crying because Some boy that I was in love with didn't love me back. I was upset about my body image or my body. My body image wasn't very good. I wasn't very confident. And all of these things just started coming rushing to the surface whenever I was drinking. That's not to say that I wasn't also having fun. I was having a lot of fun. But there was also a lot of tears and feeling miserable. And I don't know, should that have been a warning sign all the way back then? Maybe if you're not happy, (laughs) maybe it's not the best thing for you. But never one to be perturbed. I, of course, kept going as I still did love drinking very much. Always still loving that confidence that it gave me and that uh, freedom, I think. I always felt free when I was drinking and uninhibited. And so that was sort of my behaviour pattern during high school. I then went on to university where, you know, partying just was part of the normal day. I do remember my the O week, my first week of university, the pub on campus was just freaking epic. It was like the best pub ever. There were massive lines out the door. I remember of all the, the clubs and everything that you could sign up to at university, the only one I signed up to was the drinking club because you, I think you got a free beer voucher or something with it at the time. And I was just like, this is so cool. There's a drinking club. This is amazing. I love university. <laughs> Shadows, the pub at... At University was my home away from home. I was doing a fine art degree, which totally supported and enabled a lot of drinking. Uh, it was very easy to spend all morning in the studio and then go to the pub, then go to a lecture in the afternoon, fall asleep in said lecture, then go back to the pub. There were always art gallery openings, art exhibition openings on Thursday nights. So that was always go to the art exhibition opening, drink as much free wine as humanly possible and then kick on. And this was behaviour that was fully endorsed by the university. Our lecturers would quite often be there with us drinking and I kind of remember this period as a lot of fun. I don't remember being as miserable as what I was when I was drinking when I was in high school. There wasn't so much angst. I think the only time I ever got cranky was really when everyone wouldn't do what I wanted to do. (laughs) If everyone wanted to go to a shit pub, I would get quite often get quite sullen and sulky and that's more a personality thing than a drinking thing. And Yeah. So that was the first sort of time that I really started going to any nightclubs as well, but they were all shocking and I hated them all. They were all very commercial. They were all like rugby boy. I hated all the music You know, I was a cool art kid, and I didn't want to be listening to Hey Mickey, You're So Fine or Brown Eyed Girl. So I was quite often very moody going to these venues. But I also had an awful lot of fun with my art school friends. Exhibition openings were amazing. Nights at the London bar listening to jazz were amazing. And drinking, you know, litre jugs of beer at the pub all afternoon was the best fun. It was so good. But by the time... I had finished university. I was totally sick of being in Auckland, where I'd grown up. I was feeling really disillusioned about the art scene. I'd felt kind of messed around during my final year of art, and I knew that I couldn't stay there and keep doing what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted to do next, uh but I certainly didn't want to be working in a gallery forever, and I couldn't see myself having an actual art practice so. My girlfriend, Natalie, had already been living over in Melbourne for a year studying photography and she was a little lonely. She'd been through a a nasty long distance breakup and I was like, well, I need a change. I'll come to Melbourne. I'll move to Melbourne. I'm pretty sure I'll I'll like Melbourne. I'd never been to Melbourne. (laughs) I came over for a weekend, spent that time with her there and was like, yes, I love the city. This is somewhere I can definitely be. Love it went to work over the, the summer after finishing uni, saved up as much money as I could and left Melbourne in, left for Melbourne in March of 2004 and never looked back. <laughs> uh, about every, I lo- absolutely loved everything about Melbourne. I quickly f- got into a friendship group with all of Natalie's uni friends and she was at uni, so we were you know still drinking a lot in that sort of pattern going out to nightclubs where they play super cool, like rock music and indie music. And I felt a lot more at home there than I did in Melbourne with all the mainstream pubs. Um, About, I don't know, I think six months into being in Melbourne, (laughs) I discovered ecstasy. (laughs) And that was a whole separate journey for me. Um, It took all of those feelings that I had when I was drinking and kind of threw them out the window and made me the happiest person on earth who could dance all night and just keep going and going and going, which I freaking loved. I remember my first time having a pill and it was like the best feeling ever. I had the best night ever, went to Revolver and really didn't leave for the next two 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 and a half years. <laughs> Um, so my, my, my time in Melbourne, I did drink a lot, but the focus sort of shifted to taking pills and partying for 24 hours at a time and staying out all weekend and dancing and dancing and dancing. And that was like the best time of my life for the most part. I had the best time ever. I was so unwell constantly. You could still smoke in nightclubs at that time. So I would come home from, you know, my 24 hours stint at at revs and just stink of cigarette smoke and it was so disgusting and I had tonsillitis like every month. And if I didn't have tonsillitis, then I'd have something else and it just totally trashed and wrecked my whole body. But I didn't care because I was having the best time. Uh, When, like as with anything like alcohol, your body gets used to what you're doing. So... A few or well, a, a year or two into all the ecstasy, my body was totally getting used to taking all of that all the time. And obviously, my um, resistance for that went up quite a lot. And then I worked out that the pill wasn't going to work unless I was already quite drunk. So I think my drinking then increased again. And I was like preloading with drinking before going out dancing all night just to make sure that that pill, pill would kick in. And what that resulted in was a lot of just blacked out, messy, messy behavior. Like I'd be out dancing at a club and I I don't know, I have my girlfriend Emily come up to me and be like, what's all this? And she'd like have just the entire contents of my purse in her hands and I would be, you know, no idea what was going on. So that was kind of like some quite messy behavior that went on for a while, but I didn't really have a problem with it at the time. It was all just fun and games and early 20s and having the time of my life. It wasn't really until the good times started outweighing the bad. No, the bad times started outweighing the good. (laughs) And I was starting to have those terrible Tuesdays, but they were intensifying really bad, and my anxiety was getting really bad in those come downs. I would just dread Tuesdays and be at work. I had a terrible, terrible job out in Dandenong. No, it wasn't a terrible job. It was a good job and I learned a lot from it. I was making curtains for the theatre doing an apprenticeship. But I was out in Dandenong. It was always cold and I was miserable. And I did seek out counselling at that time. Um, I said, look, this is what's going on. I am sort of cutting down. What do you think? And the guy was like, yeah, well, you're cutting down. You're in the right headspace just look after yourself and that was sort of that there was no like you need to stop taking drugs right now <laughs> you're wrecking your brain but i knew that that was what i had to do so i did start slowing down a lot it was at this time that i met my husband zeb uh he was sort of in the similar group of friends an offshoot of a group of friends and that's how i met him uh, through a mutual friend and at that time he was quite a party 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 guy as well he was out um sort of in the same sort of circles but maybe not so much of a party guy but a little bit of a party guy uh my friend did warn me when you start going out with zeb he's going to want to stop going out just be prepared for that he'll hermit you and i was like yeah yeah whatevs i'll be right and we started going out and he was like you what are you doing why are you going out all the time we should just be at home watching movies and i'm like fuck you i'm gonna keep doing what i want and I wasn't taking as many drugs at that time, it, it, that had totally slowed down, but I was still out dancing till three o'clock in the morning, having ro- roaring hangovers, coming home barefooted with cigarette butts stuck to my feet. We were fighting an awful lot because he was like, you're my girlfriend, you should be at home with me. And I'm like, you can't tell me what to do. And that went on for sort of like the first year of our relationship, I guess, until he decided that. He wanted to get out of Melbourne. He was a country boy who just wanted to surf all the time and he was miserable in Melbourne. And I think he got sick of trying to coerce me to behave in a certain way and he said, right, well, I'm going to live in the coast in New South Wales. You can come if you like. And I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I decided to leave with him and go and live in coastal New South Wales. And we lived up there for a good five or six years I'd say it took us about a year once we were there to f- to find some friends and find our groove. and I feel like it took me even longer. Zeb made friends quite quickly through the golf club. It took me a while to to f- find a real um, a great friendship group. And I did try, like joined a netball team, did all these things. but in that that time it was it became <clears throat> like that Zeb and I really relied on one another a lot for socialising we would go to the pub and it was all sort of centred around what he wanted to do. It was this period of time where I feel like I did sort of lose myself, my identity to that for quite a long time. Uh, So we would go to the pub on the afternoon of a Saturday afternoon or after he'd finished golf in the morning and drink all afternoon and bet on racehorses and you know, just drink lots of beer and then be home and in bed by eight o'clock. And that really set me up with a pattern of drinking fast, drinking to keep up with, with him and the boys, but drinking a lot of beer and just, yeah, not, not not doing anything that I really loved or wanted to do. And that was our life up there for a long time until I really found a good group of girlfriends and could go out and have a cocktail or go out for dinner, Um but really we did kind of stick with our, our our routine there for the most part. While I was up there, I think in a way of me trying to find my own thing, I discovered fitness for the first time in my life. I am not naturally athletic, but I wanted to lose some weight and found a personal trainer. And I did quite a few sort of 12-week fitness and weight loss programs with her. And when I was doing them, I stopped drinking apart from like I'd have a night off right in the middle. So I'd go six weeks without drinking, then have a night off and and totally write myself off and vomit and then have another six weeks off all in aid of losing weight. And I absolutely despised not drinking at that time I'd I would still go to the pub and I would sit there and drink hot tea and be miserable and but really really focused on that goal of losing weight and so it was all worth it for me at the time yeah so that was that was sort of that period in in New South Wales we'd already always intended of moving on moving back to um, where I, where do I live intended on moving back to Victoria, country Victoria, Port Ferry, where Zeb grew up. I always loved coming to visit it here. Anytime we came back for Christmas or a holiday, I really vibed on the sense of community and the history of this place and the beauty of the the coastland. And it just felt a lot different to me than living in New South Wales. Like where we were in New South Wales, it was very beautiful and picturesque. But it felt really soulless and heartless to me. There was no art scene. There was, you know, if you were going to the pub or going for a drink, more often than not, it would be at the bowling club or the RSL. It was that real coastal New South Wales vibe. And I just felt like it was kind of soulless. And whilst I made beautiful friends up there and I, I miss them and I, I do see them whenever I can, it that place just wasn't. Wasn't for me. So I was always very excited to move back to Port Ferry. And once we did that, it was sort of set in stone. And we came back here for a while. I kept sort of, (laughs) I had another identity crisis. I struggled with this idea of being Zeb's wife because obviously Zeb had grown up here. It was a very small town. Whenever we would go anywhere, it was, oh, oh, you're Zeb's wife. My joke would be, oh, I feel like I should get that tattooed on my forehead or get a T-shirt printed. I didn't really have any friends here when I moved here, and it took a little while for me to get into that groove again. It was easier because I had the, the natural connections that Zeb's history and a lot of the people that grew up here were, were still here, so that was easier. Um, And once I did find my friendship groups, that's when I started sort of pushing away, I guess against the spending all afternoon at the pub with Zeb or that kind of way of socialising. It was more like I wanted to be able to go off and do my own thing and that started causing a bit of tension, I guess, in our relationship. So the more I wanted to go off and do my own thing, the more Zeb would kind of try and uh, cling on to me, I guess, or try and make sure that I was going to behave myself and obviously there's a chicken and the egg sort of a situation there where the more someone clings onto you and and tries to control your behavior the more you're going to push against that so i i had a great job with the university i started going away a lot for work and whenever i went away for work i would tear myself a new one and you know just drink drink and drink and drink like crazy i would be blacked out i would be uncontactable, and this is what started causing an awful lot of stress. Zeb would be, you know, catastrophically thinking about the worst things that could possibly be happening to me in the city, and I was completely oblivious to any of it. And this, so this behaviour kind of intensified um, once I got, well, not once I got pregnant, obviously I wasn't getting blackout drunk when I was pregnant, but after I had Violet, And I think had another identity crisis where I felt like all of my life had disappeared before my eyes. I had shocking, shocking uh, baby blues and postnatal sort of come down and thought my life was over. And so as soon as I was able to get out of the house and do anything that seemed normal to me, I went hard at it. So anytime I could go out for a dinner, I was literally drinking as much wine as, as I possibly could in that period of time. And anytime I was away, I was just smashing it. And I became known as the person who drinks the fastest, the person who was always the most pissed. And that became a real sort of ingrained part of my identity. I could always be relied upon to be the one bringing the party. And I was also a pain in the ass <laughs> to go out for dinner with because I always drank as much as everyone else but only ever paid – drank more than everyone else but only ever paid the same as anyone else. So I was a bit of a sneaky little bugger. Um, And this just obviously put more and more strain on my relationship and what I've learned since stopping drinking is that that quite often comes out when you are drinking. So I started getting quite drunkenly belligerent towards Zeb when I – came home or um, even if we were drinking at home, I would have all this internal anger that I was holding on to that started coming out at him in a not very pleasant way. Another contributing factor during those Port Ferry years was me ending up in hospital. Uh, I had quite a few accidents while I was drunk because I lost the ability to stand upright quite often. I'd fallen down... flights of stairs. I smashed my knee open to the bone, essentially. I broke my arm. I had one incident, which I haven't really spoken about um, very much at all, where I got in a massive fight with Zeb about my drinking and took an overdose of Panadol. Um, Never with the intention of doing anything too bad, but... It was more an argument tool, I guess. Uh, I've had enough of this fight. I cannot deal with this fight anymore. I'll show you, and that 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 made me quite unwell. That put me in hospital for a couple of days in the ICU because Panadol is no good for you. So there were. Uh, it wasn't just f- fighting and me being angry. Angry. There were some quite serious physical repercussions. Uh, for my drinking too during that time and that that is essentially just became the end of it all things just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse in that respect until he got to the point where he was saying you know I'm going to be taking Violet away when you're drinking we can't be around you anymore you're too angry all the time and that's ultimately what led to me to make the decision of I have to sort this out or I'm going to lose my family Um, so that's, that's my drinking in a nutshell, (laughs) the brief history of drinking. I was never a daily drinker. I was always a binge drinker. It was something that was, began as a fun party thing and ended as, um, it just totally took over my personality and was such a massive part of my identity that extracting myself from that has been the most freeing thing I could imagine. I hope that was helpful to you. I know myself, uh, especially in early sobriety, I found listening to other people's stories of their drinking past to be really quite helpful. It made me feel not so alone and not so bad about what I'd done. And yeah, I'm really glad that now I've been able to let go of any of the guilt that I was carrying around and move on with my life. And. That's what I've got to say about that, really. (laughs) I'm going to stay and and sit here drinking my lovely non-alcoholic sparkling wine, which I'm enjoying because it's my birthday. As always, if you need good non-alcoholic drinks reviews, please head to drybutwet.com.au. Please follow me on drybutwet on Instagram for all of your favourite alcohol-free content. And I will see you next week cheese